4. This is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things shades. I'm John Mark. I'm here with a few extra people in the studio today. Obviously, Brad is here with us, but we're also joined by Grant Primo and Patrick Smith. Good to see you guys. And a live audience, as always. And a live audience, as usual. I, I was not told there was going to be a live audience. Yeah. I'm actually terrified. Now. No, I'm sorry for not giving you a heads up. Um, so we've got a we've got a lot to talk about today. So a lot. Instead of you know just meandering around at the beginning of the episode like we always do, wasting people's times, we're just going to go right into it. So uh, JM's album of the week. JM's album of the week. What do you got for us, JM? Okay, so you know I I'm, I've been obsessed with Andy Squires for quite a bit now for the last I don't know few months now we've been talking about it a lot a lot of people have been getting into him. What I discovered on his Spotify profile is that he's actually made a number of playlists that people can access. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it's you know, like Andy Squires Fountain of Joy, Andy Squires Fountain of Sadness. I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> uh, but he's got like a list of sad songs, a list of joyful songs, different things like that. Oh, that's I, great. I came across an artist that I was unfamiliar with, and wow. I really, really enjoyed the song a lot. So I uh, found the album on Spotify, started listening to the whole album, and then I was like, just with anything, I'm like, okay, I've got to check out and see who this guy is. So the artist's name is Bill Fay, F-A-Y, okay. and uh, the cover on the album uh, he's like an older gentleman. He's at a piano. The name of the album is um, Who is the Cinder? And it was released in 2015. When I went to Bill Fay's Spotify profile, he had a couple of albums that he's released recently, but then he had two albums that had been released in the early 70s. And that was it. Hmm. Uh, which kind of echoes like Terrence Malick a little bit, which we'll get to. But Yes, we will. So I was like, what? is going on with this guy like he puts out two albums singer songwriter piano driven uh-huh. and then nothing for years and years and years and then he starts making music again in 2012 and he puts out three uh albums so i started doing some digging and i guess like those two albums that came out they weren't really commercially uh big hits and i guess he had some issues with the label he goes off, and I can't remember what he did in between the time of the the album's release and the new albums that he put out. But basically, finance or something like that. Basically, there was a producer that really liked his music that tracked this Bill Fay guy down because he was sort of reclusive. Nobody knew where he was, like what he was doing. Wow. Ended up there's a great New York Times article. Uh, that I have here, and the title is Bill Fay Was a Hidden Gem, One Musician Made Finding Him a Mission. Go read that article. It's super interesting. I'm not going to go into all that um, today, but definitely like Google that because it's a lot of fun to read like how they found each other. But this producer loved his music and got in touch with him. Turned out that Bill Fay, um, he just had some normal job, but he had been recording music on demo, like just demos, like I guess like a f- eight-track recorder or something this whole time and so he took a lot of those songs and they started working on them for these new albums um the song that's on the playlist that i mentioned earlier uh from andy squires it's a song called bring it on lord and um 
it's really cool because it's basically just kind of wrestling with like um, how we need God's peace on this earth and how we kind of long for it. And so mm-hmm. it's just like a prayer and it's really intense. But a lot of his songs are like this piano driven with like orchestral string arrangements. Wow. Um, he doesn't have the best voice, but I'm, I'm kind of attracted to that. Like I love Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and those guys. So just listen to a little bit of this. This is, this is pretty awesome. Bring us peace on earth. Bring us peace on earth. Bring us peace on earth. Bring it on, Lord. It's good, man. The whole album is amazing. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of Christian imagery that he uses in his lyrics. Oh, it kind of sounds like Dylan a little bit. Is that fair to say? I won't dream no more. I won't weep no more for better days to come. I thought he said I don't want weed no more. <laughs> Very different. <laughs> Context. No man, he wrestles with a, he wrestles a lot. Uh, he wrestles with war. He's got a song called War Machine on this record that's really good. Um, he's got a song called A Frail and Broken One. Wow. Um, I mean, I don't know, man. I, his music has really, really impressed me. And apparently, uh, the band Wilco they really like this guy a lot and has uh, covered one of his songs. And they have repeatedly asked him. Will you come play at this festival that we put on? And he says no every time. Like they have just <laughs> asked him over and over again. Like we, lo- Bill Fay, we love your music so much. Would you come and play? Like we just want you to do a set. And he's like, no, I'm not interested in touring and doing all that. I just want to make day. music and work, and that's it. So, <laughs> so anyways, Bill it. Fay, man, it's it's been a lot of fun cool. for me. It's been a n- new new thing that I'm exploring and discovering. So. Yep. Lovely. I'm going to check it out. Cool, man. All right. Well, do you have a book for us? I do. This week on Bradford's Book Club... The book that I will be recommending is a book by Scott Sauls. Scott Sauls is a pastor in Nashville, and I believe he was with Tim Keller at Redeemer in New York before he was a a pastor in Nashville. And he's written a lovely little book called A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. I'll just read from the back cover. He writes, In a defensive and divided era, how can followers of Jesus reveal a better way of living, one that loves others as God loves us? How can Christians be the kind of people who are known, as Proverbs puts it, to turn away wrath? Scott Saul's compelling new book shows Christians how to become people of a gentle answer in a politically, relationally, and culturally fractured 
world by helping us grow or helping readers grow in affection for Christ, nurture a renewed and softened heart in light of Christ's gentleness towards us, and catch a vision to forsake us against them mentalities. Put down our swords and infect a hostile world with gentleness. And so I, confession, I have only begun this book. I'm a few chapters Jonathan in. Jonathan joked about that last week. I don't know if you <laughs> listened to the episode, but he said, Brad never reads any of the books that he uses for Bradford's book club. He's trying to give you a hard time. That's classic Jonathan. <laughs> and while I would like to berate him since he's not here, I think I'm going to respond to his hostility with gentleness. <laughs> <laughs> so... I really, I really have loved the book so far. Though one thing that stood out to me is he talks about Zacchaeus, and he says that so often the first time we hear the story of Zacchaeus is when we're children, and we sing the song "Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he." And so we enter into the story in a sympathetic posture to Zacchaeus. We feel bad for him. He's all alone. He's up in a tree. And he notes that this is not what this is not how the text is wanting you to feel. With Zacchaeus being a tax collector, the vibe is Zacchaeus is the CEO who's taking advantage of the single mother for his own monetary gain. And when Jesus comes to town, that's the the house that he goes to. He goes to the CEO's house and eats with him. And so he just shows how offensive the story is mm. and obviously goes on to talk about it, but definitely worth checking out. And as we continue to wrestle with and learn, how do we exist as the church in an age of hostility, in an age of us versus them, in an age of outrage, I've, I've found this to be very helpful and just really good for my soul. So check it out. Scott Saul's A Gentle Answer. It's already helped me with Jonathan, so I can't imagine <laughs> what it could do for you. <laughs> well, great. That's that's just fantastic. Thank you for that. Okay, yeah. well, um, we're just going to dive right in here. Yeah, JM, um, what are we doing today? Well, there's a reason that we asked to have some friends come in with us. Jonathan's out of town this week, and he's speaking at a youth camp. Is that right? He's in the middle of nowhere somewhere. Preaching eight times, I believe. Preaching. I think he's sleeping on the floor at night. Um, (laughs) I'm sure it's just terrible. great for his back. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so we're we're praying for him as he's he's gone. But Brad and I were talking, what are we going to do this week? We always have this conversation when Jonathan's gone. What are we going to do? And one of the last times that he was gone, we actually talked about a movie, and that movie was A Hidden Life, which is directed mm. by Terrence Malick. And mm-hmm. we had a conversation about that. Andrew came on, and we, we discussed that film. A lot um, of fun. So we thought it would be cool to maybe touch on another Terrence Malick film, and yes. that film is called The Tree of Life. So yes, it is. we're going to talk about that today, so there will be spoilers ahead for anyone that's listening also, if you've never seen it, maybe I don't know why you're listening, but but I'll, I'll grant I'll grant you that maybe you're interested in the film and you want to hear about it first before you watch it. I'm not really sure how that works. Yeah. Well, and it might actually be helpful 
for you to hear us talk about it if cinema is not your cup of tea. It's not your forte. Yes. Not your forte. Because when you walk into a Terrence Malick film, you you need some context. You need some context of who he is and what he does as a director. Um, In fact, there's some stories that I heard multiple times about people going to see this movie and people walking out of the film like 30 minutes in. Understandable. <laughs> and so. I am I am sympathetic because the first time I saw Tree of Life, I fell asleep. And that's because <laughs> I did not know who Terrence Malick was. It was a Friday night. I just had a huge meal. My friend gave me no background, just said this movie was awesome. And we started. And I was not ready. It's like you think you're going to a Bruno Mars concert and you show up and you're in opera. Yeah. So well, you it, definitely need some, yeah, some context. For sure. And so I asked... At least I do. I asked uh, Grant Primo to, to join us. We've yeah. we've talked about Malik in the past. And yeah, he's an expert <laughs> he's, on all he's, things Malik. He's an authority. Far from an expert. Self-proclaimed. And then, I, and then I asked our good friend Patrick Smith, who has Hello. never been on Shades Midweek. So welcome yes. to Shades Midweek for the first time. Yeah. The audience loves it. The audience loves it. Um, they shouldn't. <laughs> Patrick. They should be scared. Uh, real quick before we dive in, I do yep. want people to know we've never had you on a meet a member. We're definitely going to plan to do that uh, down the road. Um, you do a number of things here at Shades. You I you've do. you helped with the live stream mix quite a bit um, on Sunday mornings. You run the camera from time to time. You do slides. You kind of just jump in <laughs> wherever uh, we ask you to, and and you're uh, so faithful in that way. Yeah. Um, but you, uh, what what was your major? What did you major in? Yeah, I majored in uh, journalism and mass communication over at Sanford, and I minored in film. Uh, so yes. that's my qualifications. Yes, yes, they're very minimal. <laughs> well, you are the most qualified the person. Most qualified. By I'm, far. I'm qualified to sit in a chair and talk into a mic. That is all I am. Um, and tell us about uh, this YouTube channel that you have that you run. I, I hope it's okay we talk yeah. about that. Um, it is on YouTube. People it is can on find YouTube. It. Um, <laughs> but, but tell us a little bit about that and what you do uh, there. Yeah. Um, all of me and my eight subscribers currently. Um, <laughs> uh, I should say that I, I produce this. I've been producing this show for about a year now called Movie Club. Um, what it effectively was, it's had a longer title at one point. I summed it up. Movie Club at Home for the Painfully Alone is a reference to a, <laughs> one of my favorite bands. Um <laughs> But uh, I I started it when the pandemic started and I didn't really have anything to do. Uh, And uh, I work at a school part time. um, So obviously pandemic put uh, a pin in those plans. So I needed something to do with my time that was productive and felt like I was using my talents to the best of my ability. Uh, and so I did the one thing that I'm qualified to do, which is talk about movies, because I watch them a lot. Mm, I, I feel yes. like that's all that really it takes to be qualified to talk about movies. Uh, and I had a cell phone and a like a, a crappy microphone I'd bought off of Amazon. So I just started shooting the show um, that I, I would show to my friends like once a week on Wednesdays. Uh, and we just get together on an app called Discord, and we'd watch uh, the the screening notes, as I called them at the time, and then we'd watch the movie together uh, collectively. And the the idea behind the show was to give people the historical context about these movies, so that way when they approach the films, it would be easier for them to understand maybe why I picked more eccentric titles, uh, mm. which I do on occasion. 
but also to maybe appreciate the art that goes into making even big blockbuster films. Like I covered Jaws pretty early on. Oh, nice. uh, and that's one of my favorite movies. Um, mm, Shark Week was last week. We were watching Shark Week <laughs> at our house, so uh, I love Jaws. I do want to see some of Shark Week. Uh, some of the advertisements uh, specifically regarding a crew from MTV uh, really interested me. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't mention them on the okay. podcast, All right, though. okay. All right. Well, that's cool, though. That's awesome. Yeah. So I've yeah. been doing that show. I think we will hit our 50th episode, which will wrap up season one this upcoming week. Wow. Uh, and then season two will start in earnest very soon. Um, I've already started shooting those episodes. Uh, and the goal with like season one, obviously, I took a long time to figure out what I wanted to do with the show. But season two... Uh, the approach was much more like identity and like personally relating to the materials. And that, that specifically, I, I kicked that off by uh, watching Inside. Yeah. And nice. Then, uh, like nice. trying to shoot an episode that was similar in style to that. Um, oh, wow. And that was probably one of the more intimate like things I've done. Because it's like, oh, I'm going to eventually share this with people. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. when you're shooting it, you can tell all these stories and be like really intimate. Because like background i had a really terrible 2019 i lost my job and i moved back to birmingham mm -hmm. it was kind of like tail tucked between my legs and then it was until september of that year that i i couldn't find a job and then finally i got a job and i was pretty happy and then march of 2020 came around and just like right back yeah. uh, right back down so just a really eclectic two-year period um and so that kind of culminated in that episode in a really weird way yeah. uh, but it's not out yet so Okay, uh, just, that's your teaser for that one. Okay, oh, what's what's the I name of it. your channel yeah. on YouTube? Uh, it's called Patrick Smith's Lost Tapes, um, and that's kind of a tribute to. I grew up going to Blockbuster, and so there would be like these crappy televisions, these four by three televisions, playing like VHSs of coming releases. Mm. So that's kind of the the stylistic of the 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 graphics for that show. Yeah, man, you just took me back. Well, I watched the one that you did on A Hidden Life, yes. another Terrence Malick movie. And I watched the whole thing, Jonathan. <laughs> and <laughs> I do appreciate that. And I, I loved it. It was great. There were so many things you brought out that I would have had no clue about. So yeah, really love that episode. Well, that's great. And and uh, we need to have that. We need to do another episode. Brad and I were talking about this. Um, you're a fan of the horror genre. I am very much a fan of the horror okay, genre. And that's so where my bread and butter is. Brad and I want to do an episode yeah. of Midweek <laughs> where we bring on you. Chris Cargill, Chris Cargill and Caleb Stallings. Stallings? How do you say Stallings? Those? Stallings, who uh, used to be here at Shades. He's no longer here. All three of you are huge horror film buffs, and um, we just want to ask you why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what What's wrong with you? Here's the main. Is the main. Here's my teaser. As a child, as a child, I grew up watching like the the marathons for the Twilight Zone on television on the Fourth of July oh, wow. and New Year's Eve. I taped every episode. I think that as an experience very early on kind of made me appreciate older art, specifically like black and white film. So like I never right. had that phase in my life where it's like, oh, these movies are old, gross. Because I like as as like eight year old child was watching The Twilight Zone, which is way too early. That show is amazing, but also <laughs> not a terrifying. recommendation. Terrifying. Um yeah. but also one of the greatest, you know, right. shows ever written. Uh, and then also I stole uh, one of my dad's Stephen King books off of his shelf and then oh, couldn't wow. sleep for a couple nights. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that's a so future that's episode. What, that's what started it all. That's so a trauma that's a good, that's is a good, my answer. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a, good, that's a good teaser. All right. Well, we are going to talk about this movie, 
this film, The Tree of Life, directed by Terrence Malick. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read a couple of like just brief notes about it. I'm not even going to try to describe the plot. We can or what plot? lack of plot. What that that is what lack yeah, of- <laughs> that I will say. Like if. Typically, you avoid listening to podcasts because they might spoil right, the movie. Right. I think this might be one movie where there, that's not a problem. You can listen there, to a whole podcast and still no, maybe not. No spoilers. Not yeah. know no idea what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Even the linear, even the narrative of the film is broken up so much. It's hard to even follow the linear narrative that's within the film because of the way it's edited. We'll get into that. Yes. But Well, question. Yeah. First, we need to say something about Malik. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we talked about him before, but, uh, Patrick, do you want to, do you have anything to say about Terrence Malick? Oh, crap. <laughs> I mean, I, I can jump into the script a little bit, of but... my entire video now. Um, yeah. well, I, I, I did, as I was reviewing my notes last night, uh, he was born in 1943, so he would have been coming of age at the same time, the characters in this movie. And so a lot of, especially his early movies are set in like 1950s America, which would be when he was yeah. coming of age. So Texas it's especially. interesting. Yeah. Like how much of his stories, especially early on in his career that are about this particular period. And it's interesting that he wants to keep returning to it. Cause he feels like something, there's something interesting or magical about that time yeah, like coming of age in that era of America. Yeah. Interesting. So he's a director, writer, yeah, writer, director. Um, the first films he did were uh, Badlands yep. and Days of Heaven. They came out in the seventies, and then uh, he he kind of stopped making films for a while, like for a two long decades. time. Um, yeah, and it seems like he has a distinctive style, and it's hard to explain what that is. Was that fair to say? Yeah, <laughs> uh, I will say that. Like, I, I just watched Badlands this morning because uh, I'm an over preparer. Um, <laughs> And that is like the most un-Terrence Malick film that he's made because it's like so normal and like composition. Linear it's very yeah, linear. Yeah. Um, and I appreciated that, but it was also like, I do really like the, my favorite art movement is like the impressionistic art movement. I love those those paintings. So the fact that that's kind of being drawn into his style in, in the movies he makes now are, is really interesting to me and is, I think, what draws me to his work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he really, Malick really goes full-on Malick with, like, Knight, <laughs> Knight of Cups. Yeah. Like, those the uh, the films that he made after Tree of Life, which Tree of Life is obviously, like, it, it is uh, his voice and kind of what he does with uh, film and the camera and all that stuff, but especially like Night of Cups, Song to Song, and To the Wonder. I mean, those are, talk about like non-linear, like just lots of uh, narration and overdubs and almost this like poetic language being used. And um, yeah, so he, he really goes like full on Malik with those films. But um, yeah, and then he started making movies again uh, in the, I guess in the late 90s was when The Thin, thin Red Line yeah, came 97. out. Which was sort of like a crazy take on World War Two. It's unlike any other uh, war movie that I've ever seen. Um, so, and then uh, he makes a, The New World, which is sort of like his take on John Smith and yeah. Pocahontas. Although I don't think they, they use that as her name. Um which I've never seen that film, but I do own it and plan on watching it at some point. Uh, but then he, he makes this movie, the tree of life. And so I'll just give a couple little background notes. Nothing crazy. Um, tree of life is a 2011, uh, American epic experimental drama film written and directed by Terrence Malick, starring 
Brad Pitt, Jessica Chastain, and Sean Penn. What a great cast. <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, most of the other cast uh, were not professional actors. Um, even the children. I don't think the children had ever acted anything. Apparently, they they went on this huge search what? For, to yeah. cast. As, and the other casting. thing is... like. Almost none of the children acted after this movie. Only Ty <laughs> Sheridan has like had a career. Like he, and he's been in a Spielberg film since then. So good that's for him. crazy. Yeah, I would never so know good. that. It's so good. Yeah, like, so it, good. like ridiculous. It makes like, it cat, very special. Kid acting is like one of the hardest things to nail. Like sometimes when you go back and watch movies from the eighties, you're like, ugh, oh, gross. <laughs> that, they're just not. It's just like they're kids. They're you kids, can't expect right. that. Like it's more impressive when you like watch an actor like Millie Bobby Brown, and you're like, holy crap, how are you that talented? And you're like, eight, stop. <laughs> yeah, that's wild. I can't believe that. So, The Tree of Life premiered in competition at the 2011 Cannes Film Festival. It was awarded the Palme d'Or, which is sort of like, uh, it's the highest award that you could get. And the Cannes Film Festival is obviously like probably the most widely respected film festival in the world, I would say. Um, It it was nominated for three Oscars, uh, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography. Um, Do you guys remember, I bet Patrick probably knows this off the top of our head, so maybe don't answer, Patrick. But um, (laughs) Grant, you're up. Take a guess at the film that won that year at the Oscars. So this would have been, the movie came out in 2011, so it would have been in 2012. Can you even just take a guess? Like, I don't know. Or I could read you the list. Well, if I read you the list, you may remember who won at that point. I have no idea. Yeah, I'm just going to sound dumb, it's so a, I it's think it's better huge, than not answer. It's a huge disappointment. Patrick, do you remember who it is? I, what film 2011 was? was before I started watching the Academy Awards and before I stopped watching the Academy Awards. <laughs> I, I gave up on them after. Like, Parasite won, and I was like, okay, this is the high point. I'm leaving. I'm leaving while we're ahead. <laughs> All right, let me see if I can. Winners and nominees. Oh, that's Golden Globes. I don't need that. Trash. 84th Academy Awards. <laughs> Um, I do remember, oh my goodness, Wikipedia, come on. Okay, here were the nominees that year for Best Picture, and we'll see uh, if you guys can remember. The Descendants, which was a film that George Clooney was in, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. That was like a kind of like a Tom Hanks movie. I, I, was, I didn't really like that movie that much. The Help, um, Hugo, which was a Martin Scorsese film, Midnight in Paris, Woody Allen, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is that's a great movie. Uh, Moneyball, Brad Pitt, amazing. Tree of mm. Life, War Horse, Steven Spielberg, and then the winner of Best Picture that year, The Artist. Now, the I Artist. Never, I never I saw say, it. I will it's say, I black would, and white silent film. I have not seen The Artist, but as a defense, uh, <laughs> the, I mean. You can. There are quite a few great films that came out that year, um, right? But I, I do think it's interesting that a really art art house kind of film was the one that won. And, I mean, Tree of Life is a very art house film. It's mm, yeah. nonlinear storytelling is like right. peak. It's just like big right. budget art house film, which is right. abnormal. Um, but yeah, like. But the artists see the thing because uh, I've heard people they just get kind of get upset about it because they're like the artist was sort of. I mean, any movie that's like an ode to Hollywood in some degree is yeah. always going to kind of, you know, it, it will rise to the top and either be nominated or potentially win. And so I think that was some people's beef with it. They're like, the Tree of Life is like 
being lauded as like one of the greatest movies ever and the artist wins best picture that year, like a silent film. Right. Yeah. I do think the Anyways. artist does have a lot to offer like cinema based on what I know about it. Like it is like a really artistic and beautiful film that's really well made. And while, I mean, obviously you're going to typically have differences of opinion with an entire body of old white men who are voting on <laughs> best pictures. That Yeah. <laughs> you can dig into what my opinion is right there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's much better than, you know, a year where like Green Book wins. So I'll, I'll take the artist winning over a film that I liked more. <laughs> it's, it's just like at least that one has value. Fair yeah. enough. All right, so a little bit of uh, some development stuff, and then we'll kind of get into what we thought about it. Uh, so apparently in the late 70s, Malik was offered $1 million for his upcoming project after he put out Days of Heaven. Um, Malik had an idea for a film that would be, quote, a history of the cosmos up through the formation of the earth and the beginnings of life. It's <laughs> uh, a really small yeah, indie right, film. Just a, right. Yeah, the film was known as Q and included elements not in the Tree of Life, such as a section set in the Middle East during World War One, an underwater minotaur dreaming about the evolution of the universe. <laughs> so one, one day, Malik uh, stopped working on the film. Um, apparently, so then, obviously, he goes away for a while. He comes back. He starts making movies again. This is something that he's wanted to make for a while. Uh Get this, potential casting notes. Colin Farrell and Mel Gibson were at one stage attached to the project. Heath Ledger was set to play the role of Mr. O'Brien, which ultimately went to Brad Pitt, but dropped out due to recurring sicknesses a month before his death in early 2008. Um, so that would have been a much different feel with Heath Ledger. I'm sure he definitely could have pulled that off, but wow. it's, it's interesting yeah. to think about. Anyways, for the roles of the three brothers, the production team spent over a year seeing over 10,000 Texas students for the roles. About 95% of the cast had no prior acting experience. Um, so there's a couple of things there. What else was there? was one other page that I had highlighted that I was going to mention. <laughs> the sets for the Tree of Life were unusual for a large-scale film. According to Brad Pitt, quote, a movie set is very chaotic. There are hundreds of people. There are generators and trucks. This was a completely different experience. We had none of that. There were no camera lights. There were no generators. The camera was all handheld. It was very freeform, low-key experience, which we've definitely heard that about um, other Malik films as well. Um, there was one thing that I saw that was really cool, and I can't. I'm all visual effects. Okay, so there's like a there's like a huge scene that we're gonna get to in this film where there's like this creation narrative that happens, and it's like the beginning of nothing, and then it just forms into like all of life as we know it, right? And so, um, check this out: visual effects. This is all from Wikipedia, so you know, take it for what for what you will. <laughs> but um, we've this, done our research. <laughs> we've done our research yeah. after nearly thirty years away from Hollywood, famed. Special effects supervisor Douglas Trumbull contributed to the visual effects work on the Tree of Life. Malik, a friend of Trumbull, approached him about the effects work and mentioned that he did not like the look of computer-generated imagery. 
Trumbull asked Malik, quote, why not do it the old way, the way we did it in 2001, which I'm assuming he worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey. He did. He worked on 2001 A Space Odyssey, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and Blade Runner. So this guy is... Uh, oh, yeah. He's a legend. He just, he's just, a legend. Nah, he's just really small. Had no, <laughs> no important impact on uh, special effects. Yeah. Which, That's insane. Which, as I was watching the creation narrative, it reminded me of like, oh, this is almost like Malik's like response or like yeah, his absolutely. version of 2001 a space odyssey except it ends with like hope you yeah. know like a like a like anyways i mean i would argue 2001 ends okay. with hope just in a very weird and different way <laughs> but yeah i would right, say can, that those yeah, two we... films echo one another mm. um yeah, so they Trumbull used a variety of materials for the creation of the universe sequence. Quote, we worked with chemicals, paint, fluorescent dyes, smoke, liquid, CO2, flares, spin dishes, fluid dynamics, lighting, and high-speed photography to see how effective they might be. It was a freewheeling opportunity to explore something that I have found extraordinarily hard to get in the movie business. Terry didn't have any preconceived ideas of what something should look like. We did things like pour milk through a funnel into a narrow trough and shoot it with high-speed cameras and folded lens, lighting it carefully and using a frame rate that would give the right kind of flow characteristics to look cosmic, galactic, huge, and epic. Um, what? It's just crazy, man, what these people... What? I mean, yeah, just so I much was thinking as I was watching it, how the heck did they do this? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just like a combination of like paints and different materials. It's the same stuff they did back on two thousand one, but like back in two thousand one, they were literally just throwing paint at the wall. Yeah, trying I mean to that, out was what like, would work. that was like that was like nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, you know, sixty eight would be when the film came out. But yeah. like, yeah, that's why. I mean, he was able to do it again. Like he's done it before under worse circumstances, and now the technology has improved to like right. capture the stuff he yeah. wants to. Better cameras, yeah. better ways. So of he has the opportunity to like go back and maybe take a second stab at it and improve on what he did in the past so that process sounds like what my kids do like they make this thing called monster soup where they just go in the backyard and they'll get stuff like out of the out of the garage like random chemicals and they'll just be pouring it into like a a big um like a bucket or like a wheelbarrow and they just finding all sorts of nasty stuff mud and right. bugs and just mix it all up but right. get them to film it. i know Maybe i need to be the next doug trumbull i know that's i need right. to send them to film school now then. that's right that's true <laughs> yes but that scene is sh so shocking in the context of the film mm -hmm. yeah for sure so that's a little bit of background it's a little bit of some development stuff um i know that Roger, I believe is Roger Ebert put it in like his top 10 films of yeah. all time. Yeah. Um, yes. it's a, it's an important film. Uh, you know, uh, there's a podcast that I was listening to, uh, before we recorded today, uh, this film critic, uh, what's his name, Brad, Brett McCracken. Yes. His name is Brett McCracken. He's like what the vice president of the gospel coalition. He is a or senior editor role? and director of communications at the gospel okay. coalition which is a very large evangelical right. blog. Um, he loves film, and he, I mean, he called this the, well, it's obviously one of the best films of all time, but he said this is the best Christian film of all time, and he kind of gives a defense for what he's talking about there, and then he sort of, uh, you know, talks about how horrible Kirk Cameron is, and <laughs> not as a person, not as a person, but his films, uh, the films yeah. that, you know, uh, 
pure flicks. I mean, we're, we're kind of like, you know, I, I don't know, you know, we have a lot of different people that listen to this. And so yeah, I'm not trying to disparage you against the new God's Not Dead movie, but um, this is just so much better. <laughs> <laughs> it's slightly different. I, you know, you got to be careful. One of the only times I've been criticized in a sermon is when I made fun of Hallmark. It shades. So I won't. I won't disparage the people that like those no, movies of or or, not. or watch them because like they're seeking out entertainment right. that affirms their values. Right. But also, I do think that if we believe in a God that created the entire universe, who is infinitely creative and impossible to completely fathom, that we should you know expect more from our art than just uh, it looks like people who never went to film school showed up on set and just said, well, how do we want to light this? <laughs> well, I think that's part of the, when people like walk out of Tree of Life, or I've recommended to people, I've been like, oh, you gotta watch this movie, and but I didn't like give them the context of it, and yeah. I get a call 30 minutes into watching, like, what is this? What are you doing right. to me right now? And I think it's because like, you know, it's a film, not a yeah. movie, you know, and, and you have to you have to know kind of what you're, you're getting into because you can't expect it to be Fast and the Furious or Pirates of the Caribbean. It doesn't have that. It, I right. mean, it's almost like with uh, with like writing. You know, if you get a novel, you know what to expect. You get a nonfiction book, you know what to expect. And that's kind of like when you go to the movies. You know, you go to a documentary, you know yeah. what to expect. Yeah, you go right. to a blockbuster, you know what to expect. But this is like something. Di- it's like poetry or something. Yes. And, and it's, you have to consume it in a different way than you would. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You have to be in the right mood for sure. I agree. I, I watched it last night at my house. We put the kids down to bed. This is a personal story, and and listen, I listen. I love my wife. She has good taste. We 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 like a lot of the same music. Um, but you know, <laughs> I put this film on. She had never seen it before. I've seen it one other time, and she was sitting on the couch, sort of paying attention to it. The you know the first by the time. Well, first of all, she's like start, about 20 minutes in before the creation stuff happens, before that scene, she's like already asking questions like, who are all these characters? What's going on? Like, why, what is Sean Penn doing? Like, what's happening? And um, I'm just like, oh, you just have to watch it. Just, just keep watching. And then the scenes with all the creation happens and then it goes on for like 20 minutes. And I think about 10 minutes in, she's just like, what is even happening right now? What is going on? I'm like, well, it's create, it's creation, you know. And I'm trying to explain to her what's happening, and she just, she just gets up and leaves. <laughs> she just went to bed. She said, "All right, I can't do this anymore." I'm I going think to that's, bed. <laughs> I think that's definitely the point where most people. It's either like you're like, oh, okay, this is something different, or you're like, I'm done. It's this, when yeah, they, it's I'm when out. the dinosaurs pop up, and they're like, nope, <laughs> not doing yeah, it. Uh, yeah. I don't know what's happening. Where's Brad Pitt? <laughs> Where's so so maybe maybe we can be a guide. This might be a, yeah. a direction to go. What can people expect when they sit down to watch Tree of Life? What do they need to be prepared for? I think you should be prepared for a little bit of frustration. Uh, and I, I, I do mean that in a good way because mm. there have been films that like are classics that I've sat down and watched and been genuinely frustrated watching. And I think mm-hmm. 2001 A Space Odyssey was one of those. I watched it for the first time with my dad. Uh, and I was just like, okay, there were some great moments there, but I'm so confused about what just happened. <laughs> right. And like over the course of like the next 72 hours, I finally started to like 
understand what was going on, and I really started to appreciate it. And every time I've returned to it since, I saw an IMAX when uh, Christopher Nolan did the remaster. Oh, for I it. saw it then. I saw it then too. I think we might at, have been in Patton the same Creek. theater. I bet we were. <laughs> yeah, I think we were at the that exact was, same place, dude. That was amazing. Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's a brilliant movie. And but I, the first time I came out of it, I was so frustrated because there was so much going on, and I just didn't have the time to process all of it. Yeah, that happened with this film as well last night because last night was my first time watching it all the way through. I'd yeah, seen we, the creation segment before, but mm-hmm. this is the first time getting all the way through it. And I think my biggest frustration with it was like, Sean Penn feels so wasted in this movie. <laughs> He's barely in it. I and think like, Sean Penn felt wasted in the movie. I think he, <laughs> I think he made some comments afterwards about how he got cut out of the film. That is consistently a thing that happens with Malick's films. I mean, like if you go back to the Days of Heaven shoot, uh, they were shooting with a cinematographer whose eyesight was like, like going while they were shooting the movie. They shot it pretty much all at the golden hour. And like... Right. Historically, people who work on like Terrence Malick's films and like lots of crew members end up leaving. They have to replace them because of just it's hard to work with the man, just because he's so weird and so eccentric. But like the people that love working with him, like York Widmer, who's been like his cam op for most of his career since like I think uh, the New World, um, they they swear by him and they love working with him because they complement each other's style. But it's it's clear based on you know just watching some of the behind the scenes stuff with like Christopher Plummer being frustrated with the new world. Yeah. Or, um, I imagine if you worked on the thin red line and then they completely was, re-edited uh, the entire movie and changed to the main character wise in the editing bay. Yeah. That would be like, that would piss me off. Frankly, <laughs> like I spent two years working on a movie and now I'm like, uh, like a side character when I was yeah. the star in the script. Yeah. George, that, that, that movie in particular has a huge ensemble cast. And in that same interview with Christopher Plumber, it's like a round table of actors and George Clooney's there. George Clooney was in a thin red line and they're talking about it. And who was was the main actor supposed to be like Jim Caviezel? Yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. And then at the premiere, everybody goes to see the film and Jim Caviezel's barely in the movie. And he finds out he's <laughs> like been edited practically out of the film. That it's that just like would that's what happens with yeah. a Terrence Malick film. You wow. never know, like the film can change completely from the time that you read the script to you see it in theaters. And and he's not going to tell you. So, yeah. so, whether, editing, so the whether editing, you're a viewer or an actor, you can expect frustration <laughs> the first time that you see it. Yes, but it's like a, a good frustration that forces you to think about like what makes cinema cinema. And like what, what qualifications uh, for you make a good movie. Because yeah. I do think the fact that I'm still... I was thinking about it all morning... Um, is a testament to the fact that there's a lot of powerful stuff going on in the tree of life. Mm, yeah. yeah. And I think you can't expect to like be following along or understand yeah. the plot or, or there to be a plot right. to the movie. Like <laughs> that's helpful because it, a lot don't of times expect a plot. <laughs> that is, that's, that's great. No, that's, that's what, I, that's why Ashley was getting frustrated. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. He, he breaks into conversation it, when there are, when it's not just a voiceover saying something, you know, right. it will like break into the middle of a conversation and you're like, wait, He's in the military. I thought he was a gardener. You know, like it's, it's like it makes no sense <laughs> yeah. in, in in at that moment because it's nonlinear sometimes, or sometimes right. you're not even supposed to really know what they're talking about. It's maybe just something they say in the conversation. Yeah. But if you're sitting there trying to say like, oh, did I miss something when he went to war? Why is he talking about that? Right. It's going to be frustrating. Yes. Sure. If you're trying to create this linear narrative in your mind, then you're going to get frustrated when you say that yeah and if you're trying to in one sitting figure out 
what is happening in each scene and what's happening with the dialogue, you're also going to be really frustrated. <laughs> well, and there's some there are some characters like in Tree of Life. There's a a female a woman a- actress who I think is credited as like um, the helper or something like that. And she's not a real person. She's supposed to be symbolic, but she just shows up in various points in the yeah. movie. <laughs> mm. And I could see if you didn't know what was going on, you'd be like, wait, who is this lady? And why is she here all of a sudden? Right. But, That's right. 2001 imagery coming back in, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. You don't understand. You just feel. That's what, impressionism, that's what impressionism is about. It's all about the feeling rather than, you know. A, a linear understanding or just a singular idea. Yes. And right. so, oh, go ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say, we've kind of already said it, but I think it's fair to say you can expect l- very little dialogue. I mean, is that fair to say that's a characteristic of a Malick film? Yeah, and I think that's to his benefit. Uh, watching Badlands this morning, I do think dialogue is his, I mean, worst attribute. Mm. It's, his, it's where he struggles the most. Sometimes mm. he hits on some like really profound things and other times I don't think it lands is where he wants it to. I don't know if that's just the complicated process of, you know, re-editing a movie a million times right, over yeah. or or what. But like I, I do think the more he's a visual poet rather than, you know, a, a typical filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so you can expect lots of frolicking in nature. Yes. <laughs> and shots looking up at uh, a tree leaves Look, from, like, up the, the sun sky. streaming through them. Visually, yes. you will never be bored. You might never understand what's going on, but right. visually you will be like, okay, this is amazing. Right, totally. But when your steady diet of mainstream movies and TV shows is just filled with dialogue mm-hmm. and very easy to follow linear narratives then of course when you turn this on on a friday night (laughs) if if that's what you're looking for yeah Yeah. you're gonna check out pretty fast yeah i mean it's kind of like with like content or like television shows now that are like very binge worthy so to speak it's like every episode kind of ends with like the same like okay we got we got to put something here that can hook them to take them to the next episode so they'll keep watching and that never right. happens. Like, that does not happen right. there's never this big moment but um yeah i guess a good place to start is uh the film begins with a quotation from the book of job uh, 38 4 through 7 and this is what sets up the whole film so this the beginning of this is very important um where were you when i laid the foundations of the earth when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of god shouted for joy and then uh after that you basically see like a some sort of flame flame light f- flickering that you actually see at different points throughout the film but it's there at the beginning and then from there you're kind of introduced to the the main characters and their family, Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain, and their their three kiddos, and uh, you're sort you're sort of thrown into a situation where, also that part is kind of hard to tell exactly like within the linear narrative part, like mm-hmm. how old are they supposed to be now? How old were they? Like you're trying to figure all that out, but basically they get a letter, they get like a telegram that says they're. Uh, one of their sons has died, mm-hmm. um, and he was, I guess, 19 at yeah. the time of his death. Um, and so that's kind of where the film starts, and then it just kind of takes off from there. Um, it goes into the future. It goes to Sean Penn, who's now, uh, you know, like a successful architect, and, yeah. um, you know, it's sor- circa like 2010, like more modern era Um, and so you're kind of thrown into a few different worlds, like within the first 20 minutes, he kind of puts you into all these places. So, 
maybe that's a good place to start when yeah. we're talking about the movie. <laughs> I, I do feel like Job is such an important aspect to a lot of you know Malick's, especially more recent filmmaking, um, specifically yeah. this film and A Hidden Life, uh, because so often it's posing major questions about like God and faith and religion. Uh, but there's never a clean answer. Like God right. maybe doesn't necessarily respond in the way that you expect them to. Uh, and the thing that like, I've watched A Hidden Life several times now is I think that those shots of nature are supposed to be, you know, God's answer in some way, or maybe mm. like God's presence, even though he's maybe not directly answering in words or giving them like the typical answer, but like he's still present and watching over. Um, and I think that's part of why he's so fascinated with, you know, nature photography and that's yes. all over his filmography. Well, and we haven't said it yet, but from my understanding, Malik is a self-professed Christian. Yeah. I believe he's a Episcopalian. He practices his faith. And as the movies that I've seen uh, with A Hidden Life and Tree of Life, yeah, both have life in the title. Yep. The the Christian themes are implicit and explicit. I'm, well, I mean, supposedly he's starting work on a film that's about the life of Jesus, or was in 2019. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, God, no, we told, might see that in 2023 or 20. Potentially you know, told through uh, the Temptations, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Because there's like uh, four different versions of Satan all played by yeah. the same actor. It sounded yeah. compelling. Wow, interesting. Yeah, so very excited. About even that. more interesting. We are having. Right, yeah. We are going to do a watch more. party <laughs> yeah, whenever that comes. That out. is interesting. If there was any doubt, but I actually referenced that part of the movie in a sermon before when I was talking about that passage from Job because I think the movie communicates so brilliantly mm-hmm. what's going on, and the daughter is asking all these questions to God. Where were you? How could you let this happen? And at that point in the movie, it, the scene is Waco, Texas in what the fi- 1950s. In the 50s and in a neighborhood. And then it goes to that creation scene you were talking mm-hmm. about with Ashley. It's so jarring. And you kind of think it should be before you get to the people, which it would be even worse because, like, now, like, even earlier in the film, people are, like, checking out. But right. the fact that you get, like, a taste of maybe a little bit of normal story and it's like, hey, what about this thing over yes. here? Let's go and look at some dinosaurs for 20 minutes. And there's, <laughs> yeah, there's no dialogue. You're in a complete... It's just music and sound. And music and, and sound. This kind of operatic sound yeah. and these visuals of... Mm-hmm. Malik's portrayal of, of creation coming yeah. from nothing, and yeah. it's it's like thirty minutes long, right? It's long, yeah. Yeah, I think it's like at least twenty. Um, it's yeah. weird that this film actually felt longer to me than A Hidden Life, and A Hidden Life is like almost no, three hours. I agree. Yeah, yeah. and I so agree. as you were talking about God's response mm-hmm. and God's God's response specifically in nature. In a tree of life, you have her ask these questions, and then you where have were, this scene of creation. Yeah. yeah. And it's totally alluding back to Job and God's answer, but God doesn't speak the answer in the movie. It's rather this 30-minute creation scene. And it's so powerful just that there's not a clear theodicy given and a clear answer to the problem of suffering, yet Job sees God and his wisdom and his power and his sovereignty and that he is over all things. And so I just felt like the commun- the movie communicates that in a way that's so powerful Mm -hmm. and leaves me in tears honestly in times that i watch it well and that the whole um 
kind of allusions to, to Job continues because the later on um, the the main character the the son who becomes Sean Penn he his uh, a little another boy dies at a pool like swimming yes. and then he's asking the questions in the voiceovers yeah. in the prayers like where were you yes you let him die like why where were you God yes and, uh, and kind of continues with that and doesn't Brad Pitt's character asks those questions as well yeah. Yeah. as well at some point in the movie i mean all the characters are asking those questions yeah these questions about suffering these questions about mm-hmm. the goodness of god the questions these questions about what it means to be human just are pervasive throughout the film and i, I really like it when the when it kind of the mother talking about that after mm-hmm. the son dies there are some scenes where it's like the the son's funeral and the the minister says well, he's a, he's in God's hands now, and she, and her response is, "He was always in God's hands, yes. wasn't he?" Mm-hmm. And that's yes, just, mm, yeah. that's such Ooh. a great moment. She also I wrote that down. Yeah, she also asked, "Who are we to you?" And that's the question that leads into the creation narrative. And so, from my understanding, it was like that is his answer. Like mm. you are his create. The whole thing in process is you know his creation. You are that. Well, mm-hmm. and and, and still, how that creation, yeah, that whole creation scene ends. With the child being born, yep, like that's right. the end of the creation. Like there's this huge thing, but like you're not insignificant. You're yeah, a part you're of part this. of it. You, like you're the end of this kind of creation, or at least in, yeah. And the imagery, right, yeah. the visuals that he uses for that is really cool because the boy is in like a bedroom that's like underwater, and then he swims up, and then the next scene is like her giving birth. It's like so. It's like this picture of like being in the womb, and but it's just such a cool way of like visually explaining and exploring Mm -hmm. those ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was reading one article that was saying that there's so many different ways theologically that you can approach this film and people have. So you can approach it through the lens of Job, Mm -hmm. but he also, and I hate that I didn't have enough time to read about it, but apparently in this film, he's also interacting a lot with Kierkegaard's theology and then he's also interacting with uh, Augustine and his theology. And he's also talking about the relationship between nature and grace. And so there are so many different things going on. There was one, we might have time to talk about it, but there, were, uh, there was one uh, Christian blogger, actually Brett McCracken, that was saying that he doesn't know if specifically Malik was intending this, but you can really lay a creation, fall, redemption, restoration framework Mm -hmm. to the whole of the film. And he brings out different things that are going on in the scene. And so I've seen the movie three times, I think. And he was pointing out things that at times in the movie are scenes that are like somewhat long comparatively to other scenes in the film. And I totally missed it. Like I was like, oh, I didn't even catch that and so like to even begin to talk about this film or to talk about the theology in the film or to talk about what's going on is to just get it one layer of what Malik is doing and that's what's so mind-blowing to me it's I mean it's what good art does it's it's it feels inexhaustible in a way you just continue to go back to it and new insights and layers and things are found in in the work right I feel like so much of modern cinema is kind of just like a, a snack (laughs) <laughs> so it's just like, it's a fun thing to consume, yeah. but yeah, then yeah. like snacks are good. Yeah. You yep. move on with your life and you're still hungry. And then you have films like this that are like 
whole like feasts their meals yes. that you can keep returning to there's so yeah. much on the table to keep uh, going back to yeah that's such a helpful illustration yeah uh people are obsessed with terrence malick one guy in particular named peter j lightheart um how would you describe peter lightheart brad like how do you uh, like He's what's a, his background he to be honest, I don't know a ton about his background, but I he know that he's a pa- yeah, he's a, a theologian and a pastor at a church in Cahaba Heights, and he's a pretty prolific writer. Yeah, so he wrote an entire book on the Tree of Life, <laughs> which I have right here, called "Shining Glory: Theological Reflections on Terrence Malick's Tree of Life," and I was. I read like the first chapter this morning. Um, it's it's like eighty something pages. You could probably read it in one sitting. But uh, in his introduction, he says one commentator says that there is an idea in every shot, but I think that is an understatement. There are more ideas in this film than there are minutes. Like it's Whoa. it's just yeah, dude. And uh, uh, his words, his, his thoughts on the, on uh, this film are are really cool, and I, I highly recommend this just as a resource. Like if you really want to dive deep, mm-hmm. uh, you maybe you go and watch the film, maybe you see it a few times. Go pick up this book because it's really helpful. It's like a nice companion to the to the film. So, well, the the, the theme mm. of uh, grace versus nature really stood out to me. This uh, thinking like mm. along that line of there being so many ideas yes. and so yeah. many things. I mean, I yeah. think the first time I saw it, I I kind of clung on to the to the whole Job narrative and suffering, but sure. the, the grace versus nature was was what one of the things that really stood out to me when I watched it again last night. And it's so interesting how I think that. I could be totally wrong about this, but I think that the the mother is supposed to kind of symbolize grace and the yes. father symbolizing nature. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. The and, mother, the way of grace; the father, the way of nature. Yeah, totally. and how she totally. is, she's just mm. she's loving the way she approaches the kids, and the father is stern and uh, very, almost violent at times. Mm-hmm. And um, but it's it's really interesting to see that that interaction. Um, and how that plays out. Well, then, and Brett, yes. Brett McCracken was saying that uh, she also, that character is also uh, significant because it resembles Mary. And there's a lot of, like, reflections there where she says, like, at the end, she's like, she says something about, like, I give you my son. She's talking to God. And uh, not only that, uh, Brett McCracken was like, He's like, now listen. He's like, I don't know if Malik did this on purpose, but he was like, <laughs> the son that died, his name was R.L., and Jesus called himself the resurrection and the life. And yes. so he was like, I don't know if Malik was doing that on purpose, but there are definitely several things that happen throughout the film that point to like this sort of like Christ character in R.L. and um, Jessica Chastain's character as Mary. Um, so there's just so much going on. There's just so many layers and depths to everything, right? Right. It's, yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, and even one another thing that kind of stood out to me this time watching it was like absent the the symbolic meanings and and all of that imagery in it was just I this time when I watched it I have like older kids and the relationship between Brad Pitt the dad and the sons mm. was uh, it was something that I I didn't know to kind of pay attention to last time because last time I watched it my kids were all really young yeah but seeing there like especially after this the son dies he has this this line where he's talking to Jessica Chastain and he's and he like his regret and he says 
Yeah, I criticized the way he turned the page of the music playing piano. Mm-hmm. I made him feel shame. I made him feel my shame. And yes. I was like, ooh, that just hit yeah, me. <laughs> I know, man. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. Not, I mean, my uh, how, how old is – your oldest is – She's not nine. Okay, okay, yeah. So Moses is six. So, But I, I felt – a lot differently. Like I viewed that a lot differently this time around too. Like just the dynamic relationship between the father and the sons and sort of, uh, I mean, he's like at times he's like, he can show love, but then at other times he's like abusive, like in some ways, just like psychologically, like physically, just like in a number of different ways. Like he's, you know, and the, and, and there's so many times where they're at the dinner table and just like everybody's on pins and needles because they're all so afraid of him. They don't know when he's going to go off. And, and even Jessica Chastain just sort of plays like this, almost like passive, like, victim in some ways of that relationship you know um but that but i but i was viewing all that through such a different lens when i watched it last night just having sons of my own um because sometimes as a father like you make mistakes and you like have to one thing that i've learned is like being able to own up to it you know getting past your own pride and like going to your son and being like you know what buddy i was wrong like i'm sorry about that so i Mm. yeah so those scenes especially hit me a lot differently differently this yeah. time around yeah well, and because the dad comes around at the end like his right. kind of redemption arc is yes. like at the end he's like i you know you boys were like, well because everything that he strove for and his idea of like you gotta you gotta be a self-made man yes. right you know i have all these patents and right. you gotta be strong right. and yes. teaching the boys how to fight and all that that the nature the kind of the brutal yeah. nature and trying to succeed that way mm-hmm. ultimately right. it crushes him because the plant he works at he loses closes his job. him yep. he, yeah he loses his job and he's offered like you can either have no job or take a job nobody wants right. and it's like he comes to this realization that all of that is is kind of meaningless mm. and and doesn't amount to much yes um, and then i think that change and then is talking to his son and his son's like i'm more like you than i am like mom and yeah. it's like, which one are you striving for are you yeah. gonna go after nature or go after grace and, yeah and then yes. as he gets older i mean he struggles with the th- same things right mm-hmm. because then he he kind of has everything like it's it's sort I mean they don't they don't go into it too deep maybe they do in the extended edition you see more about him but um you're led to believe that uh Sean Penn that the the son has grown up he's like a successful architect he lives in a nice home he's married he kind of has everything together yeah. but yet he's he's kind of lost his faith and he's lost his way and he's left kind of reckoning with the loss of his brother and and kind of all of that experience and wrestling with God over all of these issues, you know, and trying to like wrestle with his faith and, and come back to that. Yeah. One of the things that Brett McCracken wrote was he goes, for Malik in all of his films, sin is often tied to missing the glory. Ingratitude, a shunning of God's good gifts, Modernity and technology compound it. And there's this scene where Sean Penn is adult is in a museum and there's a woman and she's looking down at her cell phone and it's really quick, but oh, wow. you, you see, I miss that. Yeah. See, yep, <laughs> there you go. I was probably not paying attention. Yeah. Modernity and technology <laughs> compound it, distracting us from the glory around us. If the way of nature mm. leads us to conquer and protect what we think is ours, ours, <laughs> The way of grace leads us to receive what we don't deserve, gladly welcoming God's gifts, chiefly himself, as in Eden. So in our own world, God wants to be with us, but we so often want to go at it 
alone. And listen to what Brad Pitt says when he is in this moment of repentance in a way. He says, I wanted to be loved because I'm great, a big man. I'm nothing. Look, the glory around us, the trees, the birds. I lived in shame. Mm-hmm. I dishonored it all. I didn't notice the glory, a foolish man. I wow. really loved Brad Pitt's character's journey uh, in this film. I think that was one of my favorite parts. It's like, yeah, he's he's genuinely scary in some scenes. Um, but also there's just like so much going on that you get in some scenes, obviously without any dialogue. Um, right. But like you get to watch like his disillusion with this American dream. Like he's been told his entire life that if you grow up and you play by the rules – you're gonna be mm. you're gonna be prosperous. You're gonna yeah. be able to be rich. You're gonna be able to be a self made man. And so he's trying to instill that into his children. And but yeah. he over the course of the film comes to realize that's that's all a lie. It's it's right. I mean even more now than then in the 1950s. Like I think more and more people are realizing that that's the case. Uh, but like right. I think that reckoning that he has is one of the most interesting things for me. Um, and that I think that's why he's so angry. Is like deep down he does know that it's all. Mm. I mean, a lie. And he doesn't have anywhere to direct that anger at, but, you know, Mm. his family. Yeah, Yeah. and he's kind of living in the shadow of, you know, he seemed to be like a talented musician and he could have made, you know, whatever life decisions he make, you kind of don't know. But you're given this idea that he has a passion for music, that he loves it, that he's actually really good at it, but that's not what he did with his vocation at all he's like working at this factory and trying to make it make the american dream work yes and so to just continue what we were talking about with that there's been a version that's released that john mark can tell us about that that there's actually more movie to watch (laughs) in case case you wanted more in case you thought it was too short (laughs) uh jam do you want to tell us about yeah what a Criterion, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So there's a a film organization called Criterion. They specialize in uh, sometimes restored films that are very old that didn't get a great digital release of some kind or a great hard copy release. Um, So they basically take like films that they feel are important that need to be preserved in some way. And they they have created like a whole canon of films. There's now over a thousand of them. Uh, You can own like digitally restored 4K versions um, on Blu-ray. And so they've done a lot of Terrence Malick's films. They've released uh, Badlands, Days of Heaven. I believe they have a version of Thin Red Line, and then they've yeah. they've uh, put out the New World Tree of and Tree of Life. I think those are the only ones. A that Hidden Life, released. I think, was recently announced. Okay, sweet, so, you know, sweet. Most of filmography. Yeah. So most of what awesome. he's done, um, but but in the Tree of Life special edition of the Criterion Collection, uh, he put out sort of like a director's cut, uh, which adds an additional fifty minutes of footage, where I think you get more of the maybe some of the linear narrative, some of the character development is more in that cut of the film. Apparently there's also like a tornado that goes through the town, which echoes uh, Job yeah. uh, some more. So there's just a lot, a lot there to, once you start going down the rabbit hole, you realize, oh wow, there's oh my a gosh. lot to well, discover. And one of the things that McCracken pointed out is he goes, just to give you a taste of what Malik does in his films uh, is that, there's a scene in like it happens in the blink of an eye and there's a magazine sitting on a coffee table. Now the cover of the magazine, uh, is 
uh, it's a shot of a magazine article, maybe not the cover, sorry, but it's a magazine article featuring Albert Schweitz, Schweitzer, and he's a theologian, Renaissance man, Nobel Prize winning philosopher, and the article headline calls him the greatest man in the world. And the, a quote that McCracken takes from Schweitzer is, Schweitzer says, our, hap- our inner happiness depends not on what we experience, but on the degree of our gratitude to God, whatever we experience. And so there's this echo of not only the theme of Job that we've talked about, but also this theme in Malick's films that you see of sin being missing the glory around us. And I think another way to think about, potentially to think about the nature and grace dynamic that you see in this movie is to think about it through a humility and pride dynamic and going the way of pride as opposed to going the way of of humility and surrender and living with gratitude. And gratitude is what I feel every time that I see this movie. (laughs) Just gratitude for creation, that creation exists. And the beauty, not only in the creation around us, but the beauty of things that seem very mundane, the beauty of two kids playing in the yard together, uh, the beauty of two brothers getting into a fight and then reconciling with one another, Mm -hmm. uh, the beauty of a a family sitting on the porch and watching the sunset. And that fosters a sense in me of gratitude and awe and amazement of a God who did create all this and sustains all, all of it. And it just brings me to an awareness of how much time I spend in front of a screen. <laughs> so even though it was spending time in front of the screen that I was exposed to this beauty. So Well, and I think the very... More beauty is what I'm saying. The, the very first lines, spoken lines of the movie are kind of summing up that whole grace versus nature thing, which you don't really get, you don't really totally understand to the beginning. But I, I so the, the first thing that the, the mother, I think, is saying in voiceover is... Um, there are two ways through life, the way of nature and the way of grace. And yes. You have to choose which one you follow. Grace doesn't try to please itself, accepts being slighted, forgotten, disliked, accepts insults and injuries. Nature only wants to please itself, get others to please it too, likes to lord it over them, to have its own way. It finds reasons to be unhappy when all the world is shining around it that whole idea Mm, and love is smiling through all things they taught us that no one who ever loves the way of grace ever comes to a bad end and then the last line before it goes on is i will be true to you whatever comes wow so good but you can't that's like the first thing that's spoken but then you you don't really get Right. The full impact of what is being said there until you've watched this whole movie and all the yeah. suffering yeah. they've gone through. And like the mother saying, I'll be true to you even if my son dies and I have this extended grief in wow. my life. Yes. Oh, totally. That's beautiful. I don't know if you talked about this when you uh, did A Hidden Life on the podcast, but I think one of the most profound things that I got from rewatching that movie is those quiet moments where like, people from the town actually help the family in the midst of that like long period of trial um, Mm. where uh, Franz is just in prison and she's alone to like raise her children and and take care of the farm. They're like not a lot, but a couple moments where like people from the town are like nice or, or kind or help her. And just like when I went back and watched it, I mean those like 
are are huge moments in the film that I think upon a first watch or if someone who's not like used to Malick's style that they don't really land that big. Yeah. But like on a re- rewatch, I was just like ugly crying because it's like, ah, oh, that's that's <laughs> what it, this whole thing's about. It's like the the yeah. tiny actions that we choose to do, the little things. It's like like what I said in my video, it's like doing what's right even when it's hard. And it's not yes. like trying to like build up your name, but just doing doing the right thing when it's necessary. Man, totally. That's so good. And Malik has a way with how he shoots that he just brings attention to the gravitas of these small acts mm-hmm. and really brings you to a place where you're able to see the significance of it. Yeah. Like you see the significance of what Franz is doing in a hidden life, even though the message from everybody else around him is this isn't going to matter. It doesn't matter. And so even the same thing in a tree of life with some of these scenes, these small acts of forgiveness, these small acts of, of faith, these small acts of reconciliation, uh, are so seem so profoundly large and weighty in the movie and especially as Sean Penn's character reflects on his childhood and how these moments, these very small moments that seem so fleeting and insignificant have so profoundly shaped him in, in various ways. Yeah. And I think it's even more impactful that it's shown, it's shown. It's like a lot of those scenes don't have any dialogue at all. You're just, you're seeing these things happen Instead of the person saying, hi, I'm coming to forgive you and help you with this thing. You know, it's like you kind of have to be engaged with it to see what's going on. But it's I think it's more powerful to just see it and see the emotion on their faces and kind of feel yourself in that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's exceptionally easy because of the way that the cinematography is done. You know, like the way that those cameras are built and the way that the lenses are used on on these films like the camera is this close to them. They're acting <laughs> very with like close. a foot of distance between them and the camera. <laughs> so like not only the fact that these kid actors are ridiculously good is super impressive, but the fact that they're yeah. acting with like a camera <laughs> like hitting them in the face. So like but you're in the moment because of that. Like you're you are yeah. in the room with them experiencing that very intimate thing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much to talk about. One thing that uh, you you mentioned this earlier, Brad, and I'll just echo this again. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, for those who haven't seen a lot of Malik's work or maybe even seen this movie, uh, a lot of things that uh, film critics um, have pointed out is that, especially from a Christian lens, you've got to find the, kind of those critics that are talking about. Um, they They like to discuss and point out a lot of his films have this arc of paradise and then paradise lost in some some way and then sort of this idea of new creation at the end we've we see this in the hidden life we see this in the tree of life Mm. i think you could see this in, in probably some of the other films but um this is like a reoccurring thing for him and i think this is why so like a brett mccracken or a peter lightheart somebody like that like these thinkers these these uh christian voices I think that's why they resonate so much with it because yeah. the what Malik is doing with this art form with cinema is he is painting such a challenging picture of Christianity in a way that 
people are not getting knocked over the head with it um, like they right. would be in some films. It's not this. It, it, it actually like wrestles with them with with it more. Um, they're like with Tree of Life. He's wrestling with suffering. God, why do you allow these things to happen? Mm-hmm. As opposed to maybe a movie that's more about like we got to fight for our rights and like kind of <laughs> we got to stand up against against the government because they're taking away our, you know, that kind of like the new guys on dead trailer that I saw. Um, <laughs> Wait, is are, are there's, you, a, there's another one? one? Yeah, there's a new, that's why I, I just, I just assumed you were talking about no, the no, old one. God's no. not dead too. Still there's, not dead. No, no, there's, there's, there, this is the fourth one. I think this is the, this fourth, the fourth, fourth one. There were, there's oh. two, which is the court case and three, which is a light in the darkness or something dumb like that. Um, sorry. <laughs> well, uh, this <laughs> This looks like another, this one is basically from the trailer that I gathered was this guy in Washington, D.C., and I guess the government is trying to do something against, like, private education, like, with homeschooling and things like that, and people's ability to be able to do that, and so he's, like, going in, and he's like, we're fighting for our rights for religious freedom and I, all this stuff, I, and I'm just like, this is the worst the thing antith- antithesis of a Terrence Malick movie. I literally, so bad. I literally got up and left when I watched the second one. Like, I was so dumbfounded that that was the insane exciting incident and I was like the rest of this movie no matter how good it is which it's not uh, I I couldn't stand it because it was just such a ridiculous like that's my thing with so many Christian movies now is like they're they're their premises are so ridiculous and flimsy. They have to create right. a straw man argument that you know yeah. doesn't exist in the real world. Like, right. if you want to give me something to chew on, like an actual discussion about faith, that's going to be so much more valuable to everybody. That my biggest qualm with the God's Not Dead films, and I think I say this in the Hidden Life video, is that <laughs> um, it they're preaching to the choir, but the choir's already converted. So what's the point? Right. The, the, those f- those films are not going to convert new people unless Jesus do, does like literal magic, <laughs> um, because it's so aggressive. Like atheists are the that's worst people I, in those movies. <laughs> Muslims are like beating their children in those movies, and so it's like, are you trying to convince those people to to join the Jesus Club? Because I don't think. It, like I, I, agree, I know Patrick. Muslims and atheists and agnostics in real life, and they're much nicer than a lot of Christians I've met. Yeah, and the reason I bring that up too is because I was listening to this podcast with Brett McCracken. It's not his podcast. I forget what it's called. Um, I'll have to look it up. But anyways, he gets brought on. I think the host of it is actually Catholic. But the two other people that are on the podcast, they are not Christians. One of them is uh, agnostic, and and she's I think she's like ethnically Jewish or something like that. But she's she's agnostic, and so it's just interesting. Brett McCracken is basically making this argument like this is the greatest Christian film that's ever made. This is one of the best films that's, that's ever been made. And to hear kind of from their perspectives where they're not coming from a Christian lens, they totally see the movie so differently, you know. But right. it gives it gives somebody like a Brett McCracken who knows film, it gives him an, an avenue in which he can talk about God in such an interesting way, in such a fascinating way to these people that don't know God. And it opens up 
much more opportunities like you were saying mm-hmm. where some of those films are catered directly to Christians. They're not really catered to a non-Christian audience, but tree of life just being a, an acclaimed filmmaker just right. for what he does. He's able to then present a picture of faith that is like really challenging. And he, he offers up like a different kind of hope than what the world would offer in a different way. So that, so yeah, that's why the, these types of films are really important and we need more of that in art making. Mm. I'm glad I'm not going to be here to, to, to <laughs> next week to open up the, the email corridor <laughs> with all the people. Okay. Talking uh, about how much guys, they love there, God's There not may dead. be an See, angry okay. mob so inside if, the corridor. Next uh, week. If four people listen, what are the odds of one of the four? Things? The Shades Valley email is Patrick at PSmith.tech. If you want to Thank email you, all your, yeah. So I, my thing is, is like, I, I don't, Movies are not supposed to be sermons. If you want to hear a sermon, go to church. So the fact that so many Christian movies feel like a sermon is like there. There is a time and a place for a sermon, but I, I'm not going even in like non-Christian movies. I don't want to be preached at. It's not fun. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it, and it's it's just it's frustrating. Whereas like you can depict a faith journey, mm-hmm. and that's much more interesting because you can wrestle with like. I grew up in the faith, but now I'm agnostic or an atheist or whatever. And that's a much more viable way to communicate those themes and ideas than, you know, beating people over the head with the gospel, quoting scripture over and over. There's a way to do it, but I don't think, you know, the current Pure Flix model is reflective of yeah. that. Mm. Yeah. Well, speaking of preaching, there is something that I wanted to include that okay. I didn't think I was, there was going to be time to, <laughs> but this is a it. perfect segue. So there is a sermon in the movie. <laughs> yes. And oh, yeah. it's Let's gi- talk about that. It's given by a real Episcopal priest. And I talked earlier about Malik interacting with Kierkegaard in the film. Well, that sermon in the film, it turns out, is taken directly from Kierkegaard's, let's see, 1843 upbuilding discourse. And so it's a real priest giving a sermon that is heavily influenced and directly taken from the work of Kierkegaard. And at one point, to be honest, I can't remember if this is the same sermon or not, but at one point he's reflecting on the reality of death and the inevitability of death. And he, the camera is right at him and he says, uh, who among us uh, can be deathless? And immediately the shot goes to the stained glass window and it's a picture of Christ Mm. and in glory. And it was just this beautiful, like very brief, very quick, but just another one of these instances where Malik reflects on these realities that everybody has to ask and, and deal with. And obviously death being the reality that we all must face. And how do we, think about suffering and hope in light of this reality and then go into the stained glass window. I just thought it was, thought it was so, so beautiful. And it's really cool to see how Malik's Christian studying, whether that's through Kierkegaard or Augustine or whoever it may be, just reading the book of Job or interacting with other theologians shapes him in such a profound way to then create an art that can be a medium through which this very profound 
beautiful theology is communicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that I thought that was that was really cool. And he gets to use Brad Pitt to do it. So that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of the the conundrum of the whole thing, right? Is like I don't sometimes I don't even think the actors and the actresses actually even know like what's going on sometimes. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like I don't know if they you know Unless they come from like some sort of religious background or something and can maybe like kind of nod to what he's doing. But I mean, I can remember even um, watching a few interviews of the actor and actress from A Hidden Life and they were really helpful. Um, but even hearing them talk about like what they thought the film was about was really interesting. I mean, I felt the, like they kind of missed it. Yeah, they're, you know? t- they're kind of talking like it's an improv almost every day. They show up, they have an idea of what you know right. the scenes they want to capture are but like oftentimes Malik will start filming without them even knowing they'll just be doing something like sitting there and he'll just like get like five different shots yeah. that are in the movie wow. um yeah well so, like, and you mentioned Brad Pitt in an interview he said that the being the father in this family reminded him of his own family so apparently Brad Pitt grew up in a conservative Christian home and wow said that he was raised with a graceless father and he said it was a very stifling environment. Yeah. So I just, I just had no, no clue about that. But wow. one of the things that the movie does is it causes you to reflect on your own childhood. Yeah. And at times you're literally put in the perspective of a child. And I think so often as we go back and think about our childhood, we think about our being kids and the experiences we had and we give ourselves adult minds if that makes sense. And so, so often we'll beat ourselves up and say, well, I can't remember, I can't believe I responded like that, or I can't believe that I did that, or that's so embarrassing or what have you. But we're seeing ourselves with the maturity and the brain development and the life experience that we have now. And to go back, and I mean, there's so many scenes in the movies where it's just kids being kids. Mm -hmm. And to reflect on that and then to reflect on how those childhood experiences shaped you informed you and caused you to believe things about yourself which is you know what Sean Penn's doing throughout the movie to some extent uh, I th- I thought that was just uh, very very powerful and, and brings reflection brought back memories in my own life of whether it was just dumb things that I would do as a kid or how I would see the world mm-hmm. uh, as a kid so <laughs> what nope. else That's... what else guys uh, Patrick as I, as I mentioned earlier I, I studied a little bit of film in college and uh, one of the classes I took was film adaptation uh, and to, to make a long story short uh, the journey to what we were covering on today's podcast was uh, <laughs> very long and arduous yes it was so we started with a, bit of a, a movie idea on, on, on Sunday that I, I discussed directly with John Mark <laughs> and then over the past like 24 hours it changed like five times uh, so I had to because I, like I suggested um, the Coen Brothers A Serious Man as an alternative to the first film we suggested yes. Um, which is pretty much an, uh, a modern day adaptation of the book of Job. Um, mm. But uh, and, and then eventually we ended up with the tree of life, um, which I had not seen. So right. It was thrown <laughs> into the deep end. Thank you for watching that. Pl- You're you. welcome. Appreciate I'm just that. kidding. <laughs> no, it was, it was totally worth it. I love that movie. It was great. Um, and like, I was a bit disappointed. I had to jettison all my notes on the book of Job. And then the movie literally right. started with a quote from right. Job. I was like, Yes. <laughs> um, See, I, I knew I was trying to help you out there a little bit. Thank you. Um, but I wrote uh, 
in film adaptation, so we studied the we read the Book of Job. This is the uh, Jewish translation from Raymond P. Scheinlin. Okay. Um, and then we watched the Coen Brothers, A Serious Man, who are uh, culturally Jewish. So uh, yeah. a lot of that understanding of that particular text comes out of that uh, Jewish tradition. Uh, but I wrote an essay uh, back in 2018 when I was still in college called Suffering and Comedy in Gospel and Cinema. Uh, and here's just the first passage. Um, it is undeniable that art has tremendous power, but can it really ease the suffering of man, make his daily trials any easier? Well, at least that is the case according, according to Raymond Scheinlin and many other biblical and Torah scholars and most artists who have created their own work since the dawn of man. Most artists create pieces that help them, at least they think, to deal with trauma, tragedy, and heartbreak in a way that redeems the sadder aspects of pain and make them relatable to others within the human race. Some would say that this is for the very reason that both love songs and breakup songs exist. It is human to express triumph and success, but it is also human, if not even more, to sing the blues or to express one's sorrow truly and deeply. It is from this culture of art that the book of Job was created to ease both the author's soul as well as any who should read it. Hmm. And I, I think uh, as I was watching the movie, I reflected on that idea. I reflected on my own idea. <laughs> uh, I, I reflected on that idea because like, I wonder how much of this is like a biopic of sorts for Malik. I don't know much about his own childhood, but the fact that he grew up where this film is shot, yep. where it's set, uh, and his coming of age would have been in the 1950s about when this film is set. It, it makes me wonder how much of this is his actual home experience being reflected on on the screen mm-hmm. and how much maybe he identifies with Sean, or identified with Sean Penn's character yeah. in during the process of making this. I mean, I think you're right on. Um, yeah. They were I, Some of the things that I read said that, uh, and I, may, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, but he did have a brother that he lost. Right. Um, which, so, so that part of it is definitely autobiographical. I don't know to the effect of like, if his father was really like that. Uh, but I, but I do think it is, it is like, I bet he would probably resonate more with, with being that Sean Penn character and mm-hmm. kind of, you know, if he, if, if, if he, in his real, if his own life, he's like reflecting on loss that he's actually experienced, um, and here he is. He's like this successful filmmaker, right? He can make any movie he wants. He can get anybody in his right. films, from George Clooney to Brad Pitt to Christian Bale. It doesn't matter. Yeah. People will act. People will actually take a pay cut to work. So he can he can do whatever he wants creatively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet, um, you know, he pro- there's probably been times in his life where he still struggles with his faith, or he, he wrestles with questions of yeah. well, why did this happen? And so I do think that there's an auto. I'm sure there's an autobiographical aspect to it where, you know, uh, Sean Penn's character kind of towards the end there, he there's that door that he walks mm-hmm. through, and once he walks yes. through that door, then I believe not. Not too long after that, they're on the shore, yeah. they're on the beach, and it's like this idea of new creation or, or paradise, paradise restored, mm-hmm. and he he's reunited with his old family, and he's reunited with the brother that he lost. I mean, that's such a such a beautiful picture, man, of of new creation. So I right. don't know if you guys have any any thoughts on all of that, but that that was super interesting to me because I, I just typed this note up because I thought of it as we yeah. were talking, but um, the fact that we watch, you know, Malik's version of the creation narrative and we literally see the first animal that we really see 
that's like a familiar shape has crawled out of the ocean. So the fact that we're on the beach at the end of the film yeah. literally is kind of a mirror of that new creation right. mentality. Right. Um, so and it's this yes. very weird ethereal beach, like almost a sandbar yeah. where like it's a the, celestial yeah. like yeah weird thing going on. Yeah. yeah, I mean that whole scene is very like weird and I would argue Kubrickian in yeah. the fact that like it's just like I'm not entirely certain what's going on here. <laughs> Yeah. There's music, uh, is it Ani's Day that's playing in the background? Yes. I mean, yeah. there's Christian music throughout <laughs> this film. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean so it's much in La- it's, a lot of it's in Latin, so yeah. you're not necessarily yeah. picking up on everything. <laughs> but Well, I, I think that scene in particular and, and what Tree of Life does, does really well, but I think Malik does with a lot of his other movies, is kind of bring this, create this sense of loss, uh, like the loss of paradise mm-hmm. and then to the restoration, bringing it all the way through to restoration. Yes. Um, th- and that kind of really is depicted here with that, that scene at the end mm-hmm. uh, on the beach where they're all kind of reunited. But I think throughout the movie, it's like you, even the scenes of nature, it kind of makes you, or at least it makes me kind of long for yeah. that perfect state of, of Eden that, that is, yeah. that is lost. Yeah. Um, especially when it's compared to kind of like, the brutal nature, you know, will be in contrast to it right after some of those like beautiful nature scenes. Um, and he does that. I, I know in um, uh, a new world, uh, okay, yeah. that there's a lot of those kind of themes or really evokes that kind of loss of paradise. Yeah. Of course there it's like, you know, English right. people coming over right. and taking, <laughs> yeah, it start, starts out the with these Native yeah. Americans and, jo- you know, the, the main, Wait, the, the, Pocahont- the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Pocahontas characters, like just right. frolicking in this beautiful nature. And then right. it's like, all right, cannons are here, guys. <laughs> yeah. We're taking your land. Oh, um, gosh, I need to, I want to watch that tonight. I've never seen it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Back to back Malik. I yeah. I mean, with this, explode. Right. <laughs> <laughs> with, with this movie, I think, Going back to what I was saying earlier, there really is the meta narrative of scripture within it. I mean, you have creation at the beginning. They're literally working in a garden, and Brad <laughs> yeah. Pitt takes him and shows him the boundaries. Yeah. And then you have this child come to a knowledge of the understanding of good and evil through mm-hmm. a few scenes, and then you have this kind of downward spiral to where. He there's sibling rivalry, there's mm. dinner table defiance, there's um, not only this is happening with the kids, but it's also happening with Brad Pitt. He's kind of in a do- downward spiral as well. You have the kids facing the problem of evil very early on with the with the, the child that drowns. Um, the kids continue to get into mis- mischief, and then you have brothers being jealous with one another. Um, and all of this kind of begins when he's in the room with his mother and he looks at her and he says, which one do you love the most? Which one of us do you love the most? And so like, there's this kind of beautiful creation into fall and then redemption with this kind of recognition of, of Jack, the main character, Jack, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The main character, Jack realizing his sin. What have I done? I mean, there's a direct allusion to Romans sevens. I I hate (laughs) what I I do. The things I do. And, then uh, an acknowledgement of sin. Uh, and even in the Sean Penn's character, you see him kind of go on a wayward journey, like yeah. these scenes of kind of partying and other things. And anyway, and then redemption happening and then ending in this eschatological way. And so it's just, it hits on so many things because I think 
ultimately it follows the grand narrative of scripture, right? which we would say makes sense of our humanity and answers the deepest questions that we have in our human experience. I mean, so. to further that, the, I mean, they literally like plant a tree and we watch it grow up alongside <laughs> the family. And yes. I, I assume that is the titular tree of right. life. Like that was one of the first things I wrote down is yeah. like, what is the tree of life? And then there's a tree at the end of the movie, right? Yeah. Listen, yeah. this is Another what, uh, yeah. what uh, Peter Lighthart in his book, when we're talking about trees, he said, uh, let me see. He says here, the film is itself a tree with seeds, roots, trunk, branches, sticks, and leaves all undergoing duress and change under the weight and the weight of time. Uh, weight, W-E-I-G-H-T and W-A-I-T, if you didn't know what I was saying. But yeah, man, it's, dude, it's just, it's just so layered, man. Well, <laughs> it's just I, yeah. everywhere. I think yeah. the tree of life also echoes like, the creation and then at the end the, the tree of life like in revelation um mm-hmm. the tree of yep, life the there yeah. i think that is you know it's kind of from the creation all the way to the kind of end of time mm-hmm. um echoing both of those trees that you see in in scripture yeah he you know, says kind of, uh going on lightheart says the tree of the title is the biblical tree of life the tree that mr o'brien plans the backyard tree that the boys climb, the evolutionary tree of Darwinian biology. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. Yeah, that, I, I thought, I, I knew the answer what to that question was not going to be simple, and that's why I wrote such a dumb, simple question, because I knew that that would spit. Like, the first three things I wrote down were main arcs, which was absolutely useless to me. Uh, three, like, I was going to write down, like, a three-act structure, so that way it would be easy to follow the film through for the discussion. Not gonna happen. Yeah, right. right. It's uh, so out of order that it doesn't matter. I, totally. I just wish at the end Brad Pitt would have said the tree of life is X to everybody. So <laughs> or just, just like, no. Come on, guys. He just, he just tells the tree son. of life, and then the movie just cuts to black, written and directed by. Yeah, Terrence like Mack. maybe maybe if Sean Penn, as an older man, gets to talk to Brad Pitt as he's older, and they just have oh, a cool. conversation in person, and he just explains it all right. This there is the meaning the of life, Dad. <laughs> I mean, I always feel like when there is like some sort of meaning of life answer in a film, it's always like that. I mean, that's it. That's that's kind of that kind of sucked. It's, it's hard to do in like even thirty if, seconds in a secular mind. Like if like from a secular perspective, I feel like so often what people say is like the answer to that question is unsatisfying. Like I, I watch a lot of really dark movies, hence horror. Um, but like the the idea I was reflecting on the other day is like uh, the thing I, I say to some of my more agnostic friends is like nihilism could be correct, but it's not like a sustainable way of life. Like if I just live like nothing mattered, I would never get anything done. Eventually, I have to like go to work. Like people make music all the time, and they're atheists. They don't believe in God, but like. If they believe that there's no purpose for anything, why are they picking up the guitar to begin with? Mm. Why are we in this studio right now? If nothing matters, we should just all go home. <laughs> but yeah. I, so I, I think like even if that was true, which I don't believe it is, like it's not. You can't live your life like that. Yeah, and one of the things that's so interesting with Tree of Life is how beautiful the film is. And I think as you reflected on that question, asking, is that vision of reality beautiful? Mm-hmm. And I guess someone could say, yes, it's, that's beautiful. But yeah. <laughs> does that communicate beauty in a way that we can deeply resonate with? Right. Well, so how'd you guys like the film? 10, 10 out of 10? 
I feel like I need to still uh, stay with like a (laughs) currently it's still evolving, but like seven trending towards an eight at the moment. But that was because like literally last night. So my week has been I I finished up an edit at 4 a.m. Tuesday morning. Wow. Um to send off to a client and then <laughs> we had all, like right. I had started preparing my notes for right. what we were originally going right. to cover scrapped that added some alternates started preparing my notes for the potential for that to be the thing that got scrapped right. and then I had You're- to like buy a brand new movie and watch it for the discussion. <laughs> You're so, a champion. Uh, champion. Yeah, I, I marathoned it. And then I, of course, because I'm, I'm a completionist, I watched even more of Malik's work than I had to. I, I love it. I'm the, I'm the kid that's like, uh, teacher, I think you forgot the homework. There is, on the Criterion version, which I haven't watched this yet, there's a, uh, some special features, and one is a documentary with David Fincher and Christopher Nolan talking oh, nice. about Terrence Malick. Oh my gosh! I love. I just spent like ninety dollars on Criterion movies. It's the The Barnes Barnes and Noble Barnes and Noble sale. It's twice a year, guys. I think I think that's the only way that Barnes and Noble stays open. Maybe through the Criterion. I think that's one of the main ways that Criterion gets a lot of funds. Is like people just wait and then they just buy a ton yeah. of Criterion. Right, you know. they, they load up on I, it. But the thing is, is like the, the bonus features that you get with those suckers, it makes it's them so worth Because they're expensive even for Blu-rays. Right. But like, they're so worth it. Cause the, the pack, and the packaging too. Mm-hmm. You get like a little essay and like yeah, just a booklet, all the things. A little booklet. So and, many bonus features. Uh, yeah. My favorite movie of all time, surprise, it's a horror film. Okay. Uh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, I've got it. Yeah, it's great. If they have like three cuts of that movie on that desk, <laughs> it's amazing. Like if you wanted to spend more time with your favorite movie, you should get the credit. This agree. is not an ad. We're not getting paid, right. but they we should. We don't get paid by we them, should. but I would just say with this movie, watch it in community. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Do not watch the movie by yourself. <laughs> I mean, this movie is work. I'm exhausted after. <laughs> I mean, after watching and I talking about this, this at, movie, but at 10 p.m. last night, oh, man, yeah. I'm so tired. That's but, a workout, man. I'm telling you. But I, I mean, after this conversation, I take a step back and I stand in awe of creation mm-hmm. and God and who He is and what He's done and and beauty and um, thinking about evil and and suffering and yet redemption in light of that and trusting God in the midst of everything. I mean, like I just, I feel like I've encountered beauty and (laughs) these deep truths that we know and believe. I, um, feel like I haven't just read facts on a sheet. God created the world, man sinned, but Mm -hmm. really I've, I've come to believe it is something that's true uh, once again, not only for me, but but for the world, and it, it brings hope. So, I mean, it's not easy. It's work. I, if I were just to watch the movie by myself and not talk to anyone else, I would probably <laughs> not like it, and yeah. I, you know, would not um, come to all of these conclusions. So, right. I mean, I think watching this and getting together and talking about it with people, even if you hate it, um, I think can be can be beneficial. Yeah, I think it's definitely the type of movie you have to watch. Multiple Either knowing times. you're going to be talking to somebody about it or watching it with somebody else to talk about, because otherwise it's like, I'm just going to, this is this is getting too deep. I'm going to turn it off and watch <laughs> some more Office reruns. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I would like to do, we're, we have a Shade Cinema Night uh, coming up this Friday with The Emperor's New Groove in Jurassic Park. It's going to be yes. a lot of fun. It'll be a fun evening. But 
I would like to do like a different type of shade cinema night one night where we take like one of Malik's films potentially like Tree of Life or a Hidden Life. Yeah. And for uh sure. maybe have you know, maybe Patrick can get up there and talk up talk <laughs> yes. for do a little introduction. I'll just play but, my intro. <laughs> <laughs> right. I already edited that. <laughs> but you know, like to get the full weight of everything oh, and then amazing. sit down as a community and like watch yeah. it together. Because I think if you can preface it with everything kind of the, like we've done in the podcast, but in a much more truncated yeah, time, absolutely. time frame, um, I think it could bring a lot more weight and meaning to a film like that and really oh, uh, yeah. help you explore. I'd almost love to rent out like a big classroom at Sanford or something. <laughs> I feel like we all just need to be sitting at desks. We could. As, and and watching, a, <laughs> watching this on a huge screen right. with a notepad in front right. of us. I mean, I feel like it's just that kind of movie. We could oh, just take rent a test after this. Sidewalk. Yeah. <laughs> we could just rent a theater at Sidewalk. And yeah. Oh, that'd be great. I, I feel like sidewalk. that's the appropriate size for people who actually attend an yeah. entire Malik About film. 15 people. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> well, awesome. Oh, uh, anything so else? Good. We good? We good here? No. Well, no one else is listening, oh, so it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, yeah. No I one is listening. We lost at this everyone. Point, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's do this again sometime else, and we're, we're going to have Patrick back on to talk oh, about sure. some more films. I'm so sorry. Was, yeah, 100%. Awesome. No. <laughs> and Grant. And Grant. We're going to hang out. This has been awesome. Thank you guys for coming in today. Thank no you problem. all for listening. Um, what were some of the resources? I mentioned the Peter Lighthart book. I can't remember what else. Go look up Brett McCracken. Yeah. Just, hey, Tons if you, of stuff. Here, here's the deal. If you watch the film, maybe you listen to this podcast, go and just Google or DuckDuckGo. I've got DuckDuckGo now. Go and search hey. some stuff. Um, put in Tree of Life. Find, find some resources. There a lot has been so written much. on this. Brett There's Ma- so much. Brett McCracken said that he's going to put out a whole book on Terrence Malick. That dude is obsessed yeah. <laughs> with Malick. So there's so much more that you can find uh, from scholarly people, scholarly voices. So, yeah. I think, I, I think I'd also say if you watch it and you hate it, that's okay. Yeah. It's just I'm not judging. Everybody. That's true. Yeah, for sure. That's true. All right. And, and Terrence, if you're listening, great job. And I love come on you. the show sometime. I know you rarely give interviews, but... Come yeah. here, hang out totally. with us. We'd you love- don't even have to say anything. Just sit in the room with us. We'd love to hang out with you. Nobody would know that you even came on the show. So <laughs> he is here. It, it would. <laughs> we promise. He just unplugged his mic when he walked in. <laughs> right. Right. Oh. Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of Shades Midweek. Please write in at midweek at shadesvalley.org. Write into the email corridor. Let us know what you think of the Tree of Life. Let us know what you think about God's Not Dead. They're going to be so um, mad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Pure flicks. All opinions are welcome. Right. We want to hear it. We want to talk about it. We love you all. Thanks so much. Have a great day. See you.